0: Uh, The best leaders that I've seen are, you know, first line leaders are the ones that are not intimidated by that fire coming in and they just feed it, just feed it, continually feed it, continually hand off more ownership, hand off more responsibility, you know, start from a position of go for it as opposed to no. Um, Those kind of things make a big deal with young folks that, that already have the right spirit. They just kind of need to be they need to be stoked, in my opinion.
1: What do we talk about today, Lieutenant Corey Flowers? I don't know. What do you
0: want to talk about, man? First line, uh, maybe some first line, how to how to lead uh young impressionable folks. Um, Let's see that. We, you know, we've hit on it in the past about how to extinguish those folks. I think we could talk about, um, you know, how to how to fire them up. That's the other side. I think that makes sense because you know we're getting we everybody gets an influx of impressionable folks, and it's up to us. I think that'd be cool. I I think there's some first line bosses that need to hear what we would talk about.
1: Uh, so I think some people who are hearing this aren't bosses yet, but when they become bosses, this stuff really resonates with them. And they remember some of the stuff that we discussed in this podcast. And they go, okay, when I become a boss, I'll remember some of those things. So we're constantly planting seeds yep. you know, all over the place to ensure that the crops get raised and grown appropriately. That's right. So yeah. we'll just roll right into it, dude. So what are you seeing in today's newer COP and how do they have to be led differently than the previous police officers. And actually going to say that if you're listening to this and you're not a police officer, this is probably something that's applicable to you as a new generation of people arise. And then I'll give you my thoughts on it as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, in my opinion, so I got into this, I got into the profession in the 1900s, barely, but 1999. So, um, but what I've seen just in the last 20 years or so, like gone are the days of the the young the young person coming into the profession that just wants to be told what to do like a mili, you know like a militaristic type uh, setting like this is the task go for it um, what what we what I'm seeing you know and I think everybody's the same we're seeing in the last ten or fifteen years uh young folks coming in wanting to make a difference but also wanting to be you know like self-efficacious they want to make they want to make a call they want to move they want to be you know have a fulfilling career but they want to have you know their say in it which you know if you lead those those young folks properly they can be a, a major asset for your agency um the problem comes in a lot of times is those young folks that are impressionable they got the fire in the belly you know they don't need gas they may need a little breaks which is great they get placed under a either a complacent first line boss or a first line boss that maybe was never, a, you know, an a, a exemplary cop anyway. And, you know, unfortunately, we extinguish a lot of that fire. Uh, the best leaders that I've seen are, you know, first line leaders are the ones that are not intimidated by that fire coming in. And they just feed it, just feed it, continually feed it, continually hand off more ownership, Hand off more responsibility. You know, start from a position of go for it as opposed to no. Um, those kind of things make a big deal with young folks that that already have the right spirit. They just kind of need to be. They need to be stoked, in my opinion.
1: I remember one thing that was very difficult for me was, and let me preface this a little bit. I think people really need to have accountability for their skill level. However, at some point, I think everybody has to have accountability for their skill level. And what I mean by that is. You don't want to be the rookie four months on the job that knows everything. Right. But certainly if you're the guy five, six years in the job who is completely competent at doing this job and could probably do it better than most people. Yeah. Uh, we also don't need a supervisor who has no idea what they're doing, telling you what to do. And that therein begins the rub. Yes. That's when friction starts to happen. That's when people start getting disgruntled. Yep. And there's a lot of people listening to this going, exactly. So, you know how do you get through to these people who think they have to perform as a leader, but have literally no skills for the job? Yeah, and no skills as a police officer, very little skills. And I remember having that. We had this sergeant; he was a fucking nightmare. Like, bro, when I tell you, we heard he was responding. He should have gotten smart and said, "I'm not showing up," or didn't say that he was en route. Yeah. Because if he was in root brother, we were, t- we had our own brooms yeah. to start yeah. cleaning things up. We couldn't get people out of there fast enough. And like, people were like, what's wrong? And I'm like, just go get it's out the- of here. Like, dude, he's coming people are like "Who?" I'm like our boss yeah. and he's going to arrest everybody. And we're trying to help you guys out and like, just shut the fuck up. Cause when he gets here, he's a lo- and he would show up and we're just like, oh, oh here we go. Yep. And he's a oh, yeah. fucking moron. Yep. He was a fucking moron. But yep. right. One of our friends, this is how much of a micromanager this psychopath was. We had a guy work the radio. He comes in, he goes, uh, so he goes, I counted in the past six hours how many times that dude called me from the shift commander's office. Oh, 49 times in six hours. Oh. These are the phone calls. Good. What's the Great. guy in the back? What's yeah. his name? What's his deal? Blah, blah, blah. What's car seven doing? What's car 12 doing? Yeah. Ask car 12 where they're at. This went on all shift. This dude drove everybody yep. fucking nuts. And the only reason there wasn't mutiny. Is because he never wrote anybody up. There was never, he was never uh, an IA guy. Yep. He just was annoying as fuck. And dude, it had to be his anxiety that dictated it. He could not handle yeah. the position. But unfortunately, in this profession, the only way to make more money most of the time is take a a position of authority. I remember right. I ran into somebody and they said, they had been a cop there and they said, Hey, who's your supervisor? And I said, This. And the person said, he's your fucking supervisor and he didn't work there anymore. I go, yeah. He goes, he couldn't even be a fucking cop. How is he your supervisor? Yeah. 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 And yeah,
0: Yeah. he had passed the test. And and that's the problem. You know, like you said, a lot of agencies don't have that parallel path. Like there should be, I mean, in my opinion, there should be a path of, you know, more money, more, uh, you know, basically like a non promotional promotion right so you have those two tracks so somebody wants to track towards leadership and promotional and positional authority versus you know the guy or the gal that just wants to be a 30 year street cop and wants to be the best of the best at that right they should also have a path whether it's whatever master police officer 7 what, you know have that track also because that's the problem when you when your only path to more you know salary in our in our profession is 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 promotion then you have those folks, you find them in a position of authority. And they, like you said, have never been a cop. Ego comes in, and so they, you know, they get intimidated by the idea of their their P1s coming onto their squad, you know, really outperforming them or, or being more competent than they are. Um, and that's, you know, that should never be. I mean, you know, in a perfect world, people, nobody wants to work for the guy you just outlined. Whether that's in a police agency or Walmart or Subway as a sandwich artist. Nobody wants to work for that guy, right? I mean, we tell folks all the time, if you know, micromanagement, you should you should have an allergy to it. Like when you sense it when you, as, a, as a leader, right, as a first line supervisor, when you sense yourself even being being drawn in any way towards like looking over the shoulder, micromanaging when there's no purpose, you should have an allergy to that. Like you should flee that and flee those people like the plague because all it is is insecurity. It's insecurity and a little bit of flexing from a, you know, a positional authority. I'm the boss. I'm going to look over your shoulder serves absolutely no purpose and it assassinates morale. Uh, and we can't afford that. We can't afford that in 2023 in you know professional policing in the United States. It's
1: a funny story. Kenny Williams, who is one of our instructors here, he's Sergeant Kenny Williams, and we were talking one time about promotions. And again, he was completely arbitrary about this whole thing. He wasn't. He wasn't sitting. He was in a neutral position about this. He was explaining to me the promotional process where he works. Mm. And I'm like, well, how come more people don't want to be bosses? Mm. And he's like, well, it's only like a thousand bucks more a year. And mm-hmm. the yeah. juice isn't worth the squeeze. Right, yep. So it actually was the first time I thought about it. I'm like, man, what a... So now you've got people who don't want to be bosses, just saying, I'm not gonna be a boss. I don't want the responsibility. But you also have on the same token of the people who want to be bosses. Most of the time, I'm guessing for good reason, Yeah. going to be bosses. Uh, You know, when I was testing and promoting uh, or attempting to promote, quote unquote, my objective wasn't to make $12,000 more a year, right? Uh, my objective was, I really, one, wanted to have a say in some of the way things were being done. Yeah. Uh, two, and I really wanted to be there for the men and women that I worked with, yeah, to be that reasonable, rational voice in the field for them. Because I already was, yep, I just didn't have right. the chevrons. And I had I had command staff come to me to like, you're taking a swords test, right? Right. And I had people say to me, literally from command staff, we, you need to get promoted. Hmm. You cannot literally be acting as the liaison for everybody for case law and how to do things <laughs> yeah. and not have chevrons. And the fact that at that time I had a supervisor who, again, was a big dumb dumb because I'd switch and they're like, you can't possibly be having to listen to that guy. Like, Correct. we know what his capabilities are. It's like, it's wild to think. And I'm like, this is the system, though. Yeah. So you take a guy like me who uh, may not be a, an exemplary, uh, exemplary test taker, right? Like I just, I'm not a book guy. I'm a book guy in the sense of like case law interests me. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's an interesting thing. And I always tell people, uh, you know, some of your best chiefs are still in patrol.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and I've always, you know, the most important, I think this is true anywhere. The most important positions to, to staff properly, the ones that have the most like potent authority are uh, uh, training coaches, that, that get the new person out of field out of the police academy and teach them how to be a cop and sergeants period uh the power of an, of a sergeant to build and instill morale and esprit de corps and you know team cohesion and a field training coach like they can't be overstated um and so you staff those positions properly with the right folks you're going to have a healthy agency in my opinion so you know we've kind of untangled the mystery of you, are we going to be able to do away with you know folks that shouldn't be leaders becoming leaders? That's you know hopefully a minority. No, um, so probably we should speak to you know the idea of like how, so how do we how do we coach the folks that already are there that that should be there, right? Because the cool thing is, the sergeants that achieve that position for the reasons like you were just outlining, right. To have an impact, to properly coach, to properly mentor, to properly get your officers where they want to go in the agency and in the profession. Um, they all, they want, they want to be better, right. They want coaching. So, um, you know, those conversations are always great. Like how, how do you do that? In my opinion, like one of the biggest things you can do is, is always be in a position of yes. Right. So what does that mean? a lot of folks when they get to you know whatever level of 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 an agency or a corporation they will be so risk averse that they their default is like no right because honestly to you know you you can't make giant errors if you say no all the time typically uh you you're not risking anything right so it's a safe thing to say and there's a lot of you know police commanders who who start at no anytime there's a new innovative idea that they're at no and you have to convince them into why this is a good idea right Whereas I think the best posture for a, a first line supervisor is when you're P1, when you're you're a guy or gal that just got to your squad and has been out on their own for two months, they come to you with an idea, examine it. Is it ethical? Is it moral? Is it legal? And if so, just have, let them go for it, right? Say yeah. Say go for it, right? Who knows? It may be the next great idea. We don't know. What that does is two things. One, that's how we get new innovative things, right? Somebody's got to be thinking – and positing ideas and then you got to have one obstacle you know person that says go for it to give them the authority Uh, but two it gives them ownership and if you think that they won't respect you right because you've granted them the benefit of the doubt you're out of your mind i mean that that shows look i respect you i give you the benefit of the doubt you've been here on the squad a minute but you're out here working the streets you got an idea it's it's ethical it's legal it's moral go for it we'll try it may be a massive failure and that's okay the, you know, the second best thing to knowing what works is what knowing what doesn't work. Right. So go for it. Um, and I think that's great. So that's giving ownership to your folks. Um, you know, they, they got a problem location or a problem situation in the city or in their district or in their zone. They probably already know what would be a good solution. They're going to come to you and say, hey, boss, you know, timidly. Hey, boss, what do you think? And when you say, hey, sounds great. Give it a try. Uh, their chest swells, they stand up taller, right? They will bring more ideas to you in the future. And again, it might work out. I mean, which everybody benefits. I think
1: that's, that's a good place to start. Three basic human emotional needs seen, validated, heard.
2: That's it. Right.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a very big thing. And look, I, I'm the leader of an organization and I make my mistakes as well. I may not you know, I I like to believe very few and far between moments. And if I catch myself, I'll go back and apologize. Like, Hey, I shouldn't have said it that way. I just was in a different state of mind. I'm growing quick. And, uh, you know, I, I, so I think there's a good way to talk to people when they have a bad idea. Yes, sure. Right. So I think that maybe a comfortable explanation, and I really try to employ this a lot of like, Hey, I understand where that comes from. It's so really, you could tell it comes from your heart, that thought, that idea, what you're doing. But let me explain to you why I don't think it works. And maybe you can volley back to me why you think it does. And if we can make sense of it. And typically when you say that, people will go, you know, I didn't see it that way to start. Um, And so I get pitched on everything all day long, new class ideas. This guy wants to do this. This guy wants to do that. This person wants that. And I'm like, hey, here's the problem why we can't do that. Let me just explain it. Yeah. And like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So instead of being like, no, just trust your your boss. We're not fucking doing that. Yeah. yeah it's, yeah. hey, uh, like, let me just try to explain. So I've said this on the podcast before. Many years ago, I went to a a business conference and there was a woman who came up with some the big heavy hitter keynotes, all my Michael mm-hmm. Jordan's in my mind. Yep. As a business guy. And mm-hmm. I've said it before, but she did a a whole her whole thing, her whole presentation was on speaking with empathy and -hmm. it was probably the most important speech I ever heard in my life. As crazy as that sounds. Yeah. It had to do with her telling a story about, and I'll try to make this as brief as possible. So it doesn't sound redundant because people have heard this before. She's at an airport. She watches a representative from Southwest airlines, literally pick up the microphone and say, folks, we're sorry. We don't have to tell you, but the plane has been canceled. You are postponed. You're delayed. We're not going to get anybody out of here tomorrow. And like hangs up the thing. Yeah. Could you imagine what it would look like if she was just employing it a little differently? Yep. Hi everybody, my name's Janet. I'm a representative at Southwest Airlines. Um, mm-hmm. As you all know that we don't control the weather. We're not the good Lord. And unfortunately today the good Lord has not shined upon us to help us get to our travel destination. That's right. Um, we feel so terrible for everybody in here, but just understand we have no control over anything that's going on. Yeah. We will do our very best to accommodate you Uh, The flight is canceled, uh, but we're here for you. We're not leaving till everybody gets their thing taken care of. And we'll do everything within our power, everything that we have to make sure you're comfortable and we get you where you need to be as soon as possible. Again, we could not predict this snowstorm. It (laughs) came out of nowhere. I'm sure you didn't predict it when you booked your tickets. We couldn't predict it when we took your money for the tickets, but we're here now. We're together. Let's do this thing together and fighting with us is not going to get you any further down your path. Let's just all work together. And, you know, it's just like, you know, could you imagine what the first line would have been made up of versus the second line? People already know that, Hey, it's not their fault. Let me try to work with them a little bit.
0: Yeah. 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 And it's the exact same information, right? She passed along the exact same information, but it's totally differently packaged. And what's interesting is that, what is that very similar to? It's very similar to -to day-to-day work that cops do on the street right i mean we're a theatric based on the setting right you step into a house to referee a domestic dispute between two people that are twice your age you're going to take a unique tone right with that conversation to deal with it to solve it and then you're going to go deal with maybe a violent you know gangbanger on the street you're going to have a unique tone specific to that so cops are already expert at that but for whatever reason sometimes when these bosses get in place that shouldn't be there um, they, they don't they don't take that extra effort um, to, to package it properly. Right. And and, and, and again, when, when I speak about like a, a new person coming out of the academy, hitting the streets, I think the metaphor of like a flame is very appropriate because you can I mean, you can snuff it out or you can stoke it like you can dump. I've seen I've seen folks come out of the of police academies being like, um, man, what, what in the world is this person doing in the profession? And they fall under like a, a sergeant who is proactive, innovative he or she wants, you know, starts at yes, gives them ownership, and within a year, these folks are, you know, rookie of the year material. The other side of that is you see folks come out of the academy that, you know, are fired up, and they fall under some complacent, you know, wet blanket, and all of a sudden they're legitimately like leaving the profession because that's what they feel like the profession's about now, and that's that's our fault. That's as my, my best pal, you say that's a, that's a self-inflicted error right there. That's a self-inflicted wound. Um, we got to cut that stuff out.
1: I I. Wanted to just go back a little bit because we talked about these frontline leaders and how do we train the existing now? Maybe some of this speaks to them. Maybe some of them don't care. And maybe these field training officers are just put in place because they're the only ones available. Yeah. And I've realized that I'm probably better off spending my time, energy, and effort on not trying to convince the unconvincible and spending time on getting people where they're vulnerable vulnerable enough to understand how we can make the changes we need to in this profession to make it better. Yeah, yeah. And so I've been able to see that in New Jersey teaching here for over 10 years now and watching what new leadership looks like and hearing from all the men and women who took my classes 10, 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now they're the chiefs, deputy chiefs, majors, lieutenants and hearing how good things are where they are and them taking the culture that we put out of like, hey, this is what it should look like. Yeah. We don't have all the answers, but it's certainly better than the ones we have now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, And it's heartbreaking. I think we all get frustrated hearing the stories of that's right what these men and women go through on the inside of the, the building, not even on the outside of the building. Yeah. But to allude to a little bit more of this conversation and why it's so important for everybody to hear this, folks, one of the best things you can do is really learn this is the best part about all this. You can learn how to get, get better at this. It just takes effort and energy. And you sure. can be, start getting really good at a lot of this stuff. Yep. Empathy is so practical in the sense as a police officer. I can tell you how many times I've literally said to people, just cut the news to them. Uh, well, what are you going to do about this, ma'am? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I understand how you're feeling. If I was in your shoes right now, oof, I feel the same way. That's right. But you have to understand the truth of the matter. We have 15 police officers on the road right now. It's a Friday. six o'clock we're we're a band-aid for things like this this is not a long-term fix we won't be able to long-term fix it a lot of the stuff's going to fall on you we had i mean we'd have people on fridays and saturdays you know waiting for a a crash report for an hour an hour and a half right right and i you knew what you were getting there when they're sitting in the parking lot for an hour and a half waiting for a cop to show up just the way it was man
2: that's right
1: and so what i would do sometimes is like let me tell you about the last hour here at the police department uh actually if i can come to my over my computer i'm going to show you guys what we were doing this is CPR on an infant. This is somebody who was stabbed. Right. This is a this is somebody who's who who fell off a bridge. This is a suicide. So I just want you to know that there wasn't a soul here at this police department that had their feet up and was drinking coffee. Right. We're two yeah. hours into this shift and we're already getting beat up and exhausted. Yeah. I know how much it means to you. I know how frustrating it was, but there is nothing we could have possibly done because. This is who we have to work with. It's a very busy town. Uh, Three guys are out sick because of the flu and we're just trying to pick up the pieces. So while I understand your frustration, understand that we have not been sitting around doing nothing. We have been working very, very hard to get to you as fast as possible. As a matter of fact, I just typically, I I try to get finish my last before before moving to the next one, but I knew you guys were waiting. I backed all these up to get to you and I got to, once I'm done here, go back and catch up on about three hours worth of work but I wanted to get you guys out of here as fast as possible. Yeah. And yep. bro, people are just like, nobody argues with that stuff. No. Here's no. here's what you don't say, I'm just real quick. <laughs> if you haven't learned this and you're new or you're going into the profession, oh, officer, whose fault was this accident? The answer is never, well, it's yours. <laughs> right. You clearly went through the stop sign. <laughs> well, no, I didn't. <laughs> right. This is what we're going to say. <laughs> no. uh, ma'am, the police don't determine the fault. We collect the facts. We put a report and your insurance company determines the fault. That's it. Well, if you had to call like it is, you know, you know, it's hard for me to determine that now. Again, we will collect the facts and make a determination, but it's not that's us who make the determination, it's your insurance company. That's right. To be surprised how things work out. And yep. if you have a good claim and your statement's fine, you know, whatever you want to state, well, then, then it'll be in your favor.
0: That's right, yeah, that's exactly right. That's a free one there. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a free gift. Yeah, everybody should have that in their back pocket because that's that's extremely true. And you'll get that question, I don't know, if you do this job for 10 years, you'll get that question about 500 times. So yeah, that, that's a good one for
1: sure. Here's another quick one for everybody who's coming to the profession or you're new. Yep. Once you get enough information for your report, get the hell out of Dodge as fast as possible.
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly you right. You want
1: to get your info, go three blocks away. I would that's suggest right. even further. That's go right. find a place, get away from everybody because as they sit there, people will never feel... Like they've got everything they got every question they've had out of the police while they were there. Right. So, you know, it's not, I'm not saying be a jerk. I'm just saying there's really no reason for you to stick around and write your report while everybody's still there because you're going to have the person come to your window four or five more times with the same question over and over again. And you're going to just create havoc. And that's where a lot of like strife and complaints come from. You want to, be professional be empathetic get yep. your shit and move on obviously if it's a dangerous situation you don't want to probably leave people on the on the left lane on the side of the highway right cuz you got the right. info right
0: what what came to mind you're talking about little tips and tricks for the new guy if i've used this and this is from a salesman um salesman uh, uh some sales training but um like when you're trying to de- diffuse you know mayhem like that or somebody that's irate um called predictive language so if i've called if i've if i've called somebody a reasonable person once in my career i've done it a thousand times so when somebody's very heated and you're trying to again bring them back to base level um i tell people all the time even if it's not the case uh, i'll tell them look you seem like a very reasonable person right and now a lot of times sometimes that's true and sometimes that is the opposite of true like they're screaming losing their mind but it does a couple things one it pays a compliment rich which everybody likes but two it set you know it, it puts like a, a prediction on them, right? So now they've received this compliment. And they effectively feel like they have to live up to my expectations, right? Well, man, this professional cop just called me a reasonable person, right? And I'm out here acting, you know, fairly unreasonable. Um, so now, you know, I have, to, I have to live up to his or her expectations. But that's a great one all the time. And it and it truly does pay a compliment. Like, I'll tell folks, look, um, let me explain it to you. And, you. and they could be just getting finished berating me and the agency and the whole profession of policing. And we'll bring it back down a lot of times with, look, I feel like you're a reasonable person. You seem to be a reasonable person. And people um, people have digested that well over the years. I think that's great. But it's good for us to pass on these little tips and tricks to the new new guys and gals getting into the profession, because all of policing, all of it is theatrics, is what it is. It's us kind of morphing, right? A lot of times on, on a dime, like turning on a dime to, to fit a, a situation, right? Um, You know, when we talk about like verbal judo and some of the old stuff like that, uh, they use the terms like, you know, manipulating human behavior, exploiting people. I mean, honestly, that's what that's what actors do. Right. I mean, we're trying to generate emotions. But when you're trying to diffuse human emotions a lot of times and really rampant, raging emotions, you have to be very savvy to the setting. Uh, and that's something that it's, it's easy for some people to learn. And it's a challenge for others. The, the folks that go into, like you said, your old boss that approached every single encounter with, you know, gruff and, you know, rah, that, like that's not almost ever going to be effective. But somebody that's savvy and can kind of read the room. Um, wherever that setting is out on the street, at a traffic crash, at a suicide, you can read the room and speak to people with you, like you said, with empathy. Um, like that's a gift and, uh, and you, you can build that. You can
1: cultivate that for sure. Sometimes when people are new, I like how this is turning into tips for new guys and it's going to, going to go good. Sometimes when you're new, I think people, one, let's face facts. Nobody gets training. They need nobody. Uh, They just don't. And if you get lucky enough to hit the lottery and you get a field training officer, uh, backed up by a good supervisor for your first go around, yep. you know you're in you're in really good standing because that that FTO and that first line supervisor, that sergeant can really make a beautiful career for you and help you understand a lot of stuff very quickly. But you were men and women think that in order to gain command presence, they have to almost exude command presence through their verbal actions. And the reality is, is you have a uniform on with a badge and a gun and a duty yeah. rig, That's your right. command presence is established. Yep. Nobody wants to hear from the tough guy cop.
2: Right.
1: Nobody. Not That's not right. a soul in the world. Not not the criminals. Now I get it. One to less than one percent of the time, you have to be a tough guy. There's gonna be times in your career where you're gonna have to be tough. There's gonna be no reasoning. I'm talking about like riot situations. Yeah. Right. You go to a riot and there's 15, 20 people, and it's an all out brawl. There's no talking. We're right. going right into force. We have to stop this thing from happening. Yep. We have to go into loud yelling, dispersing. I've had to do it. I've had to yell. And I learned how to yell from being a corrections officer. I've had to, I've had to yell to shut down situations. Right, right. Because if 18 people are bickering and I come out like a lunatic, yeah, it is now shift. And don't try this if you don't have experience with this because you will look like a psycho. Yeah. I was, mine was very controlled. It was theatrics, uh, like Corey said. Yeah. And I can tell you many times I'm like, listen, listen up. I'm yep. not saying this twice. You know, and everybody's like, oh, they stop. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm going to get you over here and you over here, right? right. And they come over and then I tone it down. Look, man, I don't mean to yell at everybody, but nobody's fucking listening. Yeah, I know we're out of control. Yeah, Listen, we're going to figure this out. And now it's like, wow, this guy took control of us and and this. Uh, So, but 99% of the time, it is just being a human. And if you treat these people like they are your friends, as nuts as that sounds, yeah, and I'm going to go into one other category after this. But if you treat people like they're your friends, and if you could imagine them being your family members, how would you want a police officer to yep. handle your family members? That's good. Yeah, you know, seriously. I we I have a very disabled older brother. We had an episode because he has episodes, mm-hmm. and uh, we're covered by the state police. And a trooper came to the house and. I had to very quickly convey to him that he's significantly, if you look at my brother, he's significantly disabled. Hmm. And uh, I said, you had to convey to him like, Hey, he's not well. Yeah. Uh, this guy did, he was a newer cop. He was like, Oh my God. I'm like, no, not now. I'll get you a t-shirt later. Like <laughs> I need help, dude. <laughs> That's right. Like, you know, as embarrassing as it is to be the street cop guy and to have to actually call the police for help yep. with your significantly, dis- I mean, significantly disabled brother, you know, I'm, yep. I'm his guardian. Um, you know, he's, it's it's you know it's like just a it's a thing it's a yeah. he was somebody who was born very very disabled and uh he's a big dude yeah and you know the compassion that he put into it my brother's like swinging at him like he is not I'm telling he's gonna swing at you yeah don't he doesn't need to be beat down right there's not it was not yeah. a perp he's a me, he's a mentally ill person having an episode so sure. I think of that and I think of my brother and I I just want to tell everybody like what it meant to me that day and this is like four years ago maybe yeah that that dude was able to separate I'm getting attacked versus this is somebody somebody very mentally ill. Yeah. Who is who does not mean this. That's right. Uh and that and and so how that maybe I was really impressed with the guy. I actually told him I go, dude, I was very impressed with what you, you know, how you handle it goes, well we had some training here. I go, Hmm. Yeah, you can train all you want, but oh yeah this is was really as as a guy who's on the other side of things, like I was impressed by the way that you
0: yeah, and that's that. it, and, that, and that's the word that came to my mind. Like, that's impressive. And and I'm gonna tell you what's what's always interesting. So, so this is a big city here and almost almost anything that I you know that you'll do will make your make its way back to you. So it's always over the years, it's been interesting the few times when I've had to deal with some situation on the street. And days later I'll get word from so and so. Hey, my, that was my great aunt that you were dealing with at the whatever you know situation. And she just was very appreciative of how you spoke to her. And you know, a couple of things. I'm like, man, I'm glad I was on my best behavior, right? Um, but also like it, it's a good reminder that we we're going to make an impression with folks because when you know, when we run into folks, it's in a crisis situation or in the worst day, and we're going to make an impression. And that impression is going to be cast on every law enforcement officer across the country. That's just how it works. Um, so why not take the extra little bit of effort to make that like a positive encounter, like the trooper you're speaking about, like, that's extremely impressive. Um, but we're professionals. Like we forget that. I think a lot of folks forget we're professionals. And so a professional is called to, it has a higher standard. Um, and that, that, you know, that's great stuff for sure.
1: Hey guys, if you're enjoying the street cop podcast, do us a favor and go and give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us, tell a friend, we don't charge anything for the episodes. We appreciate your support. Check us out on any social platform by putting into the search bar street cop training, give us a follow. We have a lot of free content coming out every single day that you might not catch here on the podcast. And it's important for you to be able to do your job more professionally. And we also entertain you as well.
0: So something I was thinking about speaking about, um, Speaking about you know with younger folks, what to, what to do? Also, you know, it's I think I think there's nothing better than as a first line supervisor when you're when one of your new officers comes to you with a problem and a solution, right? Any you know we always say anybody can come up with a problem that's just whining and that's that's easy. Everybody does that, but there's nothing better that will you know one instill confidence in your direct supervisor, but also gives you some ownership. You approach him or her with a problem and a solution, because what's interesting is this most like if you're coming with a problem as a young person, you probably already, even if you haven't put it in a you know, in a script or in a very neatly dictated paragraph, you already have a plan. And, you know, I've told I've told first line supervisors for years, stop answering questions of your of your young officers. Don't answer their questions like don't be so quick to answer their question. The best thing that, in my opinion, you can you can retort. So, if you're a supervisor, you have a young person asking you a question or calling you on the side of the road working through a problem. Pause if you can do this, right? And this will help you feel, fight micromanagement too. Pause, and the question of what's your recommendation is like the most empowering question from a supervisor, right? So think about a, a brand new officer out of the academy. They're on the side of the road, they got this particular problem with a, a crash or somebody needs to be towed somewhere or whatever is the, is the case. They call their supervisor. They, they probably already know, they probably already have a direction, but they ask their supervisor and he or she has the, has the I guess the, um, I guess it's just respect enough to not answer the question and to toss it back and say, how about this, what's your recommendation? Right. It's asking them, like, what's your plan? Because, I, uh, you know, it's conveying also, as long as it's reasonable, I'm probably going to be good with it. And then what you see almost always is that young officer will say, well, boss, you know, I have this plan. And I think maybe if I do this and then do this, I think that'll resolve the situation. Uh, And then the boss goes, go for it. That's great. That is that is such a miraculous interchange. That can directly affect what that officer does moving forward, right? You've gotten ownership, you've gotten the respect and the, the benefit of, of the doubt from your veteran, respected sergeant, uh, and they're asking for your recommendation. But honestly, it makes a lot of sense a lot of times. Like, stop answering questions. I, when I was a, this was interesting, when I was a watch commander several years ago, um, you know, you have, so at, at any time in the city, we'll have one, one watch commander and we'll have uh, 25 or so, sorry, 20 sergeants or so across the city working with their different squads. And you always have like one or two sergeants like calling you all the time all right, about little things that they should decide. I had this one particular sergeant. He called and he started the conversation off with, uh, hey, LT, I know I don't need to be calling you about this. But and I just hung up the phone, just hung up the phone, didn't allow him to finish. And I didn't call him back. And I went about the day like five, 10 minutes later, he calls back. He's like, hey, boss, um, I think we got cut off. And I said, no, pal. I hung up on you. Like, let's be very clear. You started the conversation off with making a decision. You were telling me all out of the gate. I know I don't need to be calling you about this. And then you were going to go tell me something else and get my green light. No, what I'm making you do is make a decision, right? You already know you don't need to be calling me. Therefore, you probably already know what to do. And I'm just creating a crisis for you. And you make a decision. I'm probably not going to answer your question. You can feel free to tell me now, but I'm very likely not going to answer it because you've already told me you've made a call. So given like as much ownership, like pushing as much responsibility down to your folks as you can, as you're comfortable with. And that's, that makes some, particularly some micromanagers, like that makes them very anxious. But if you can shove ownership and responsibility down to your folks, it, it is, it is magical what it'll do to your squad.
1: And on the other side of it, as a lieutenant, you're going to have to say, like, you know, they have to know that if we make a mistake, you're not going to hang them. Yep, for sure. That's the other side of it. So people can't just do that and then say, what'd you do? You know, I wouldn't have done it that way. Well, I called you and you told me to do it the way I would do it. So if there was a significant problem, just say, like, hey, I'm glad you made the decision. Uh, I'm glad you didn't call me. But this might be more of a conversation of you're a sergeant now. And you should know better about case law and what the appropriate Fourth Amendment action was here. So yeah. maybe the conversation is like, hey man, you're if you want to progress through this profession, you want to be a lieutenant to a captain, this is a significant thing that you're gonna to have to buckle down, open the books, and start reading some of this stuff. Yeah. Or you're gonna to have to get yourself in some classes That's right to understand some of this basic Fourth Amendment stuff. It's amazing to me. And this is off beaten path because I'm always thumping my chest on <laughs> uh, you know, on, on, on Fourth Amendment case law. Yeah, it's it's just it. it's flabbergasting that nobody does. That's right. the most Wild thing, and it's it's wild that I'm criticized for teaching it, right? Like, yeah, that's how, how, dude. It's it's. Could you imagine? We'll go back to our conversation about more rookie tips. But could you imagine? And I try to explain this to people when they ask me. People think they know what they're doing, and they actually don't. And then I come along, and explain to them how much they don't know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. How does that make you feel? So there's one or two ways to take it. It's either fuck that guy, right, or like fuck, we didn't know that. We should really start putting some more thought into it. But unfortunately, some people are like, fuck that guy. Because (laughs) like, and that's the, so you don't know what you're doing. I do. I know what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And that's a very offensive thing for people. Like you literally have these people who have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. And then like getting mad at me for (laughs) trying to help them learn what they should know. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, that's just ego. And you know, the, being you know
0: we'll use the word nerdy being nerdy about search and seizure fourth amendment you know big topics like that we should again we're professionals we should know that stuff we should be reading you know when 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 a case comes up somewhere else in the country and it's being disputed in the courts like we should be on top of that like my pals and i we we kick that stuff around too like hey have you, have you paid attention to this case in you know toad suck arkansas right we can learn from that right um, but th- but that's important. And, and, you know, a lot of times we'll talk to uh, kind of banter as much as I can deal with with defense, you know, defense attorneys in court. And, uh, and and they like to posit themselves as the experts of the law. And, I, you know, when I when I can have reasonable conversations with a defense attorney, I have to remind them, look, you went to school for that and you got a J.D. And that's you know, that's appreciated in various circles. But our people on the street, they work with the Fourth Amendment all day long. In split second decisions, and they're nearly almost always right. Like, be very clear, these are the experts. The guys with the guys and gals with shields and guns that have to have to know that case law and apply it now under stress, under a lot of duress, like those are the experts. Like we can also we can learn a lot from each other, but you got to remember where you are. Um, so yeah, that that's you, you cannot, you cannot over what you're talking about is overtraining the basics. Like you cannot overtrain and overlearn the basics. You can do that for a 30 year career for sure.
1: Here's another piece of advice I didn't want to get away from. And oddly enough, it actually came from that insane supervisor that I talked about, this micromanaging, just a just a pain in the ass. And again, I, I just is what it is. I'm not trying to make the guy feel bad. I think it's pretty clear he knows that he was a fucking nightmare for everybody for a very long time. But one piece of advice he gave me was good, and it was this one. And I was young, and I didn't know any better, and I was trying to make reason with somebody. And this is all he said. So he actually intervened, stopped and said, let me talk to you for a second. And I don't want to do his impressions. Because people know what it, who it is because <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm flawless at it. And he yeah, said, what are you doing? And I went, I'm trying to explain to this woman. It's not like a neighbor dispute. Had to do like Halloween. She like didn't want their Halloween decorations up too early. And he said, do you, do you realize that she's, would you and I both agree that she's a crazy person? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, you, yeah. I'm like, yeah. He's like, so why are you trying to make sense to her? That's good. And That's I said, good. what do you mean? He goes, yep. "You need to understand that you can't make sense to a crazy person." Yep. That's so you've got sure. to figure out another way to do it. That's right. And the crazy thing is, he was crazy. But dude, <laughs> when you when you are trying to talk to somebody and it's not That's making sense, you might have to stop and go, "Hold on a second. That's right.
0: Your boss dealing with the the mentally disturbed person earlier made me think when I, when I was a, a patrol officer, we had a elderly elderly lady in our district that was always um uh, hearing things in her house right um and she swore there were people in her attic there were people that were there vagabonds or aliens i don't know but we had for several weeks like she would call about every week and she would hear these and we'd show up and we'd argue with her intellectually on um, look lady there's no there's nobody in your in your attic there's no chance there's no possible way that can happen and we after a while we got tired of doing it, and we reassessed and we determined with her um, maybe we maybe we needed to, you know, just solve the problem she thought she had. And so what that became was instead of every three weeks she was calling and we ar- argue on her porch and she felt unheard. Um, one of us would show up, I'd say, Hey ma'am, you know, they in your attic. Yeah. All right, l- show me how to get in the attic. And we one of us would hustle in there, pull down the stairs, go up in the attic, hey, beat it, get out of here. Y'all know you can't be here, right? Uh, come out and tell her, Look, man, we ran them off. Everything's good, right? Call us if they come back. What happened after that is she um, instead of every third week, she would call like twice a year, three times a year. And everybody knew what to do. They'd go to her house. They would you know, they're not necessarily feeding her paranoia, but she thought that was her problem. And it made the most sense for us to solve her problem the way she saw it. So we would run off the imaginary attic dwellers uh, and then she wouldn't call back for six months. And so, you know, like you said, it's all being deft with those different situations is is the difference between a professional on the street and somebody that just likes to bark orders, and that's night and day. Yeah, that's pretty neat, honestly. Like, kinda, as we kind of wind down this this thought, this, this stream of consciousness. If if first line bosses aren't making this job fun, I think that's nearly sinful. Because this is the, I mean, honestly, this is the greatest job, period, in the on the planet, the most vital, but the the funnest. It should be a lot of fun if you're doing it well. If your squad is healthy, like it should be a lot of laughter. And when you get around each other on a break or on a meal, the conversation shouldn't be a lot of griping. It should be like, hey, y'all remember that time when we got into, you know, and fill in the blank. Like, this is a fun, fun job. You should be having fun doing it. Uh, I think that's a sign
1: of a a healthy unit for sure. (laughs) Let me give a couple more tips to some new guys, Uh, just ones off the top of my head real quick. Mind your business. Don't worry about nobody else but you. Be there for your people, but do not get caught up in the rumor mill yeah that's a big one so when everybody starts jumping in and saying you hear what fucking so and so did blah 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 he's a fucking asshole that all this stuff it's uh, that's what it is and what it is it's not yeah. my business don't ever once you get the reputation of somebody who does not engage in shit talking that's right and it's easy oh it's easy to get caught in a shit talking game oh it's so yeah. easy it is so easy to get caught in that game of like, well, I saw that too. Blah blah blah. You don't want to do shit around, right? Yep. Hey man, mind your business. Yep. You that's must good. learn how to catch yourself talking shit about people because it's a huge mistake. Yep. And as soon as people know you talk shit about them or anybody else, you're a dead man. That's and it. And boy, that's cops do a ton of shit talking.
0: Yep. No, that's that's great advice, man. I've taken pride in the t- 24 years I've been doing this of being like I'm typically six to eight weeks behind, like on grapevine nonsense. Like by the time it gets to me, it's way stale. Cause I just don't, I don't, you know, I, I recognize, look, I could, I could have made that same mistake. Whatever's the most recent self-induced error by our folks. Like I I could have made that, that, that bad decision too. And I'm not going to pile on the top. Like you said, Dennis, like I've got enough nonsense going on in my life. Um, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in the hub of that rumor mill. It's not, it's, it's, it's uh, like there's instant gratification. Like it feels good to be able to revel in somebody else's demise, I guess for a moment, uh, but it's just not good for you. It's not good for your psyche. It's not good for your relationship. So I agree with you, man, mind your business for sure. is a good piece
1: of advice. Here's another one. When you are going to do things in your personal life and namely consume alcohol, because I can't get you to stop consuming alcohol. Yeah. uh, goes hand in hand with this profession. And I, I, I'm curious to see what 15 psychologists have an assessment about that. Why that is? I think I have some guesses, but, and I think honestly, a lot of the guesses aren't that they're suppressing trauma. I think it's a lot of us being type A, adrenaline-seeking, like like on the edge type of dudes. I think that's and girls. I think that's more of it than like ah, so dead baby, right? Like I don't, I get that part of it. There's some of that, but I think overall, it's like this, like it's that constant adrenaline, like you know, like. But anyway. This is a big one, and I can't emphasize it enough, and you might not like the way it sounds, but I'm telling you is, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, stop hanging out with your coworkers off duty. If you want to hang out with cops, go to the next PD, go hang out with them. You want to hang out with They're the same fucking guys that you work with. The difference is when shit hits the fan, it's not getting back to your agency. Yeah. Yeah. They won't even know who you are and you're irrelevant at their agency. And one of the best things I did about 26, 27 was I started hanging out with guys in the next town over. Yeah. Smart. And yeah. dude, Corey, I can't tell many times I've shown up to events and they're like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you know, union events, like PBA events and FOP, yeah. whatever it may be. And I'm like, uh, they're like, you're not at our table. And I'm like, yeah, I'm at the fucking other guy's table. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm here with them. That's right. Yeah. And dude. Yeah. Like, like, be glad to introduce you guys some of you guys know each other yeah um i'm those guys like that's these are my like bro and it was so easy because one i was friends with a lot of guys in next town over and then i became really good friends with those guys yeah i have more friends there at that time socially and it was great dude never had to worry about it
0: yeah yeah I, i totally agree like you know it's very easy to fall you get in this profession and everything is you know you see the guys with They show up, with they got their brand new blue line tattoo and the blue line sticker on their car and the whole world revolves around their PD and their it's just it's unhealthy, first of all. So, yeah, I agree. Like if you if you can make like some of my best friendships um, in the profession are not necessarily here. Like I've mentioned before, um, a good friend of mine runs the training academy for Philadelphia PD. Um, I've got friends that work for Sacramento on the other side of the country. I've got folks that, you know, in uh, Columbus, Ohio and all over the map. And, you know, those are very healthy conversations because we speak the same language, right? We're in the same subculture, right, of policing, um, but they're not hung up in the the nonsense of, you know, the all the rumor mill and the, the, the garbage that, that people like to get get stuck in. And I'm not you know, the same for there. The next step of that is also um, having, you know, building good friendships outside of the whole profession. I think that makes sense too. Like you should have, like some of my best friends uh, here in town are uh, architects and realtors and uh, nurses, you know, fellow nurses. And so it's, I, I think you need to be wise with what you do, particularly when you're, when you're off duty. Um, yeah, you don't want to be
1: pigeonholed that much. It's not, it's not healthy. Most cops lose their jobs. 99% of them due to an alcohol-related incident. Yeah, right. So just bear that in mind when oh you're drinking, God. cause you can't go back in time and undo things. Yep. And you know, just, just keep that in mind. And the last one I had before we end this today, and it's a big one. And I think we've seen recently in the past few months, how big this one is. Do not hook up with your coworkers. Yep. And I mean that from <laughs> a patrolman who's trying <laughs> to sleep with her sergeant or a Lieutenant, yep. the Lieutenant who's trying to sleep with their, with their patrolman. Yep. Uh, your co-workers, you're, you're on the same squad, you're on the other squad, you met at the Christmas party, yep. you wear the same uniform, you have the same badge, you work in the same building, yep. I am telling you, yep. this is always a bad idea. I have never seen something good come out of any of this ever, Yeah. and it's no, it's a real blast when you have two people on the same squad that now are both rubber gunned, and you, yep. you're down two squad members, their internal affairs nonstop, the yep. agency's fucking livid. Yeah. Like nothing pissed your off, your agency off more than a couple at the agency yep. who they now have to figure out how to keep you guys separate for the next twenty two years because yeah. you had oh, to yeah. have sex four times and you're both psychopaths.
0: No, you're right, and it's um you, you know, and that's that's self discipline. That's just some self. It's a bit, a little bit of self discipline being wise. Um, kind of in the same vein, I had a, I had a, one of my best friends was a training coach, and he was training this young fella, and every, for whatever reason, every time this young fella would get crack cocaine or narcotics of any type we use like everybody, the reseal the sealable plastic tamper proof bags for narcotics, where you peel off the self-adhesive and then you just fold it over. Right. But for whatever reason, this young fella, he, he was, um, he was notorious for taking that expensive tamper proof bag, peeling off the self self self-adhesive and then licking it. And then which would defeat the adhesive and then he would waste a bag and my you know my buddy would say what are you doing and he would tell him over and over don't do that don't what are you doing yeah, it's nasty anyway but what like what are you doing and so finally he's like I can't get through to this kid he keeps licking these self-adhesive bags so he told him he said look stop stop look at me here's your bright line rule for policing listen to me this is important anytime 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 you find yourself on the job licking anything it's wrong you understand yeah <laughs> And the young kid was, it was like a, a breakthrough. He said, yeah, I got that. And he said he never did it again, but he, he had to break it down for them. And that's just a good universal rule for, for life in this profession too, in my opinion. I don't know
1: what goes on in these people's heads at 40, 35, 51, that they can't control themselves. Yep. They burn it down. Bro, and I know like a lot of female cops and the story, you're lucky that most of these girls are bros okay. and don't say shit because I got to tell dude. Getting, bro, The especially these Christmas parties. Guys, listen to me. The holiday parties, the retirement parties, this stuff, you want to show up, 20, 30 minutes, go in, get the fuck out of Dodge. This is where it all goes bad. Yep. I'm yep. telling you, this is where the sexual harassment starts, is where the start. And if you don't do it, guess what? What's the first thing they're going to do when there was 30 guys at a party and somebody got their fucking ass grabbed or their fucking saws each grabbed or got their their titties grabbed what's the who do you think is going to eternal affairs and the answer is everybody yeah. you're all gone
0: yeah and you're calling down fire on your own you know nuclear it's nuclear bombs into different families and girlfriends and like it's not <laughs> exercise a little self-discipline be wise we're professionals
1: that's it dude I just i even if you're there at these picnics these fop picnics every single fucking union picnic they have in the summer where everybody like you know, like 15 kegs lined up <laughs> they're, play, they're playing fucking football and they're fucking playing beer pong. Right. You've got half the po- police department shit-faced in a park in the town you work in. Not smart. Huge mistake. Yeah, no, it's not smart. No. And then something always happens. A yep. fist fight, a harassment, a hookup, a, somebody hit a car, somebody. And then everybody who is there is going to be at internal affairs and you're going to be getting fucking crushed. There's yeah. nothing better than saying, I wasn't there. <laughs> gonna, yeah. My yeah. name's not on that list. Where were you? I was three towns over. They had this, their FOP picnic the same day. I was yep. with them. Yep. What happened over there? Because you could tell their agency. I'm going to tell you this. If something happens with those guys, their agency don't give a shit. They're not going to come find you. They don't want to bother yeah. you at your town. Like, hey, there was a guy from that town over there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. fucking bother him, right? Yep.
0: There's a lot to be said. There's a lot to be said for having a very, very boring off-duty life. You're right. Go home. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your recreation, your sports, whatever you do. Uh, like lead lead a boring life off duty. That's fine. It it can be well, very fulfilling.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here and say I, I I I slightly disagree with that. I think you can be whatever you'd like to be as long as you're doing it wisely. I'm just saying if you're going to do things like that, don't go with the people you work with. You no. want to go out. You want to hit clubs. That's fun. You like girls. You yeah. like guys. You like the you like the nightlife. Because dude, I like the nightlife. Like I you know I, I don't do it anymore, but I I do. I really. So wild is okay. It's wild and stupid. That's not okay. And yeah. and again, that's good. that's good. The last thing you want to do is is be out with these men and women that you work with. I'm telling you guys, I am begging you. I know it's hard. I know they're your boys. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah, you can, well, you can I, I, yeah. yeah, I love the idea that I wasn't hanging out. And I, listen, let me just also say this. I have tremendous feelings for the men and women I used to work with. I mean, tremendous. Yep. Um, we have two two that work here now. I mean, I tremendous and I love them all so much and. I just decided at some point I'm not hanging out with them anymore. Just not. I'm just not doing it. Right. Yeah. I won't hang out with them now. Uh in, in, in some sense, I invited them to my Fourth of July party, which is profound. But yeah. like, you know, I get invited to the retiree dinners and the PBA yeah. Christmas party and the and the PBA summer party. Hmm. I don't think after eight years I'm going to start just showing up out of nowhere. <laughs> um, it's just not for me anymore. Yeah. You know, not that I don't care about anybody. It's just it's just not for me. That's not what yeah. I'm that's not my life anymore. And, um, and in the same token, I'll show up to any police event that needs my support or wants me to come and do some kind of talk or uh, just to show up because people want to see you there. There's a big responsibility with this whole thing now. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of people got to experience that last week at the conference where people literally were like, man, you guys are like amazingly nice. I'm Mm -hmm. like, this is your week. You want to take 26 pictures. You paid to be here. You, you know, you. I'll sit here all day and take pictures with you, that's whatever great. you want to do. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't want people to get misconstrued on what I'm saying here. And of course, people always twist the things that I say and, and twist them <laughs> around. But anyway, that's my advice. Corey Flowers, you have anything else to finish with?
0: Nah, man, that was a good conversation. I always just enjoy chopping it up with you. It sounds like I don't think we, uh, I don't think we solved any world problems today, but hopefully we gave a little bit of advice out. That's good stuff. Thanks for the. Advice. I think
1: you solved a lot of. Yeah, no, I think it's, all, it's funny. I was thinking about you in the shower, as weird as that sounds, because we're doing my deep thinking, Jeez and I'm like, Jesus, Corey could be my fucking co-host on this show, <laughs> right? Yeah, like of, of almost everybody that comes on here, you could probably be the co-host of this show. I appreciate and, it. Yeah, these are great yes. conversations. So I told Frankie, I said, you know, Corey gets carte blanche as many times as he wants to come on the show because until we start, you know, just running on fumes and there's nothing else to talk about, let's just keep it rolling that way.
0: There's always stuff to talk about. I appreciate it, brother. Be safe, man. Thanks for the invite, as always. Yeah, man. Appreciate it.
1: Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher, so you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum, going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.